The Planted Mindset podcast is sponsored by Sassy 10, a new online fitness and nutrition program designed specifically for you if you're a menopausal mum who feels like your body of your 20s is a distant memory. You've lost your energy, motivation, but most of all, your sparkle. During your journey, you'll be supported, listened to, held accountable, motivated and re-energized to transform not only your body, but your mindset too. You'll be given everything you need to sculpt a stronger, sexier you in just 10 weeks to regain your sassy. Follow Sassy in 10 on Instagram and find out more by clicking on the link in the bio or hit the link in the show notes to start today. The hardest part is starting, but you'll be so glad you did. Welcome to the Planted Mindset Podcast and episode 29, where I'm delighted to have back Dr. Vincent Esposito. He was on one of my earlier episodes in series one, episode 43 to be precise, where we were talking about a good gut health. And I wanted to have him back on this series to delve into that a little bit deeper. So uh, Dr. Vincent Esposito is a board certified chiropractor and nutritionist. He's based in New York. He's the founder of the Inside Out Health and Wellness website. He's the co-founder of Evoke Health and a co-host of the Art of Eating podcast. So he is absolutely supremely qualified to talk um, about gut health and he is an amazing cook as well. <laughs> He's creating some amazing recipes on the plant-based Facebook group. Um, I'll leave the details in the show notes of that where you can check out his recipes, but obviously all the details will be in the show notes as well to check out his website. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Planted Mindset podcast and episode 29. So I'm really excited to have back Dr. Vincent Esposito to the podcast. Um, we chatted in episode 43 of series one, talking about uh, gut and the microbiome, which is, you know, a big topic, important. Uh, you know, maybe people don't discuss it enough, but I think it is, you know, certainly from my personal training aspect there's a lot more talk about it and people wanting to know so with vincent coming on hopefully we are going to dispel any myths uh, answer any questions and put you in a good place as well as your gut microbiome so welcome to the show vincent how you doing hey natasha thank you for having me back i'm doing well how are you <laughs> yeah no i'm good thank you i'm very good um enjoying some sunshine we've had horrendous weather just recently um, mm. but we've now had a beautiful couple of days um in in sunny uk i can actually say <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen often um but i just vincent uh, for those that haven't listened to your first episode on series one could you tell the audience a little bit about yourself please yeah, sure. So I'm a chiropractor and a nutritionist here in uh, New York City. So I work with people either in the Brooklyn area for the most part or um, online through nutri nutritional counseling, health coaching, um, and everything kind of in between. So that's kind of what I'm doing along with uh, now. I'm, I know you talked to Stephanie recently. We're putting out new uh, plant-based meal plans and just trying to help people help themselves at the end of the day with uh, as much information as I could possibly put out there. 
it's not just information that you're putting out there. It is your amazing cuisine skills. So I'm gonna, mm. gonna, we're gonna delve into that a little bit. But right. first of all, uh, Vincent, um, yeah, because I am gonna ask you some questions about that. But um, what would you say are the potential triggers that are leading many people to have um, a dysfunctional gut or um, digestive issues? Because it's a big, big problem if you was to blanket all together IBS, Crohn's, obviously on the, the more serious side, but even down to bloating and, you know, gas. Right. Um, well, it's definitely multifactorial. So it can come from a, a variety of different um, places and it could start you know, as early as, you know, from birth or before birth. So, you know, as infants, you know, um, we, there is an option, you know, to either have a natural birth or uh, a C-section at this point. And really our first exposure to basically uh, an environment that isn't sterile would be through, you know, um, a mother's birth canal. And, normally through a, a normal birth, that would be when babies are first essentially inoculated with the bacteria primarily of their mother. So that would be, you know, your first um, encounter with the outside world is actually through that birth canal. Now, obviously, if you're born through a C-section, that's not going to be necessarily the case. So you, you kind of miss out on that. So it can actually start as early as literally being born. So there, that, and then from there, it's just going to be, you know, a combination of kind of what happens when you're a kid. So, you know, when you're a kid, are you spending a lot of time, you know, outside, you know, in, in nature, in grass, you know, getting dirty, playing outside every, the more time that kids spend out in nature, the more time that they're in contact with, you know, grass, dirt on the beach, whatever that is, you're staying in touch with microbes, you're, you're basically integrating them in that environment. So it can actually start from very early on as a child. Um, and then it kind of just builds and grows and adapts over time based on the environment that you're kind of put into this. There are a lot of caveats to this. So like I said, obviously a C-section can be an issue because you're not getting that initial boost. Um, ex exactly. Exposure. <laughs> Um, also as an infant, uh, breastfeeding's huge with this. So if, if you're a mother or if you weren't, uh, breastfed by your mother, um, this can be, you know, a big issue too. formula does not replace that. And formula has its own kind of set of issues, uh, beyond that, but that can be a huge issue. And then as kids, you know, if you're not getting in touch with nature, if you're not outside, you know, in the dirt running around with other kids, et cetera, like, you know coming into contact with all these different things. And then on top of it, you know, you potentially throwing um, antibiotics in say for colds, which are the equivalents of like throwing a nuclear bomb inside the gut. You're now setting up an, an example and um, an environment for there to be like IBS dysbiosis and the potential for like a variety of different autoimmune diseases and, and these chronic conditions that we see are getting more common and common as the years go on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling when you say that because of um, I, my I was born naturally, but I was uh, uh, quite premature at the time. And mm -hmm. so I spent uh, two months in hospital and um, I wasn't breastfed either. So 
there was some pluses and some minuses, but then as a youngster, I was always in the dirt and the mud. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and often crying as well, either I've hurt myself or I felt sorry for myself. And my, my brother always used to say, you could see the white line go down my cheek <laughs> of the tears as I dirty. So maybe I made up for some of that, hopefully, um, by getting into the dirty and, you know, playing football, being a tomboy. Yeah. Um, against the fact of being in hospital for two months even though i was born naturally um, right. but being fed obviously formula because i was in incubation so incubation incubator um, yeah i got it for, for that length of time um yeah so can we alter i mean obviously the gut micro uh, microbiota it's 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 gut bacteria but mm -hmm. there the, what what fascinates me that there's more in, in our gut, as they say, the cells in our body, trillions mm -hmm. of, of this, these gut microbes um, that live, but there's good and bad ones. So essentially, I know what you're saying about antibiotics. Mm -hmm. um, that is a big, big no-no. So you'll get, and also I would imagine certain types of food that you're eating. So if you are eating a lot of processed foods, then you are creating this dysbiosis, this out of balance because the bad I don't know, microbes are feeding off that. Um, but can we repair these issues? I mean, like Crohn's disease, that's, you know, or um, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Um, celiac. Okay. You know, some of these aren't, you, you can't change them. So so is it is certain ones, it's irreparable damage or, or there's things that you can still do? So... This isn't going to be the, the probably the answer you want, but it depends. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there are, depending on like what amount of damage is done, depending on how many species potentially are completely killed off. Um, so ideally, you know, in a healthy gut, you're looking for somewhere between like 700 and a thousand ish different species, give or take. Um, once that diversity starts going down, sometimes it can be tough to completely repopulate. And again, it, it, it varies person to person. Not everyone's exactly the same as you alluded to. Um, you know, we're outnumbered, you know, human cells to, to microbial cells, nine, 10 to one. So, and if you want to take that a step further, like more than 99% of the genetic material, genomic material inside of our bodies is non-human. It's bacterial, it's viral, it's fungal, uh, you know, all of those different species and microbes that make up um, that, that internal environment. That's where the majority of our genetic code is. That's just the majority of where like the genetic material is inside our bodies. We just don't necessarily see it because they're a lot smaller than human cells are. So in terms of like, is it reversible or is it fixable or treatable? It's going to depend part on how much damage is done. Um, and then part, you know, how much can you reintroduce? And then obviously there's give and take to that, the, the, the better, um, you know, compliance rates, suppose, uh, so to speak, are the, the better you'll get with that. Now, some things you cannot replace. For example, if, I don't know, say there's colon cancer or something and you, for whatever reason, have part of your colon resected, or if you have part of your stomach removed um, in, due to whatever reason, um, 
you can't get that back. Uh, once you take it out, you can't get that back. So you're mm -hmm. losing that type of, you know, real estate, that, that, that digestive process, that digestive power to some degree. And depending on where it is, it affects it in different ways. Now, there are things absolutely you can do. Um, there are some, there are plenty of quality tests you can get out there, especially now you know, through Genova and, and Dutch, that's more of a home hormone test, but you can get stool analyses and, um, you, you know, these kind of urine protein analyses where you can kind of identify which metabolites are more present or which are absent. And then you can trace that back to, to basically certain trends in diversity and try to kind of repopulate as best you can. So, depending on how long it's been going on, depending on if you can find like those root causes, eliminate them and then repopulate, you, you can, you can absolutely get wild improvement for everyone. Is it going to be 100%? It, it's, it's pretty hard to say that because again, it's a lot of give and take. It's not, you know, like, you know, a pill for an ill type thing. These are processes that take months, if not years to, to kind of go through. So there's that and and it's still there's still more being learned like in this space so yes you can definitely get some improvement to what extent for everyone i think that's going to vary there's still a lot to learn um but what we do know is that you know that relationship that interplay between the gut and the immune system is integral and it extends not only just in our gut but to our entire bodies yeah i admit there's so much i wanted to pull out of that um and and it's like as you said everyone's so unique and mm -hmm. then each uh, gut microbiome is going to be completely unique so again with certain foods it could be someone's medicine and someone else's poison even if it's a good food right so it's really you know going to the right people to get the right tests done and mm -hmm. uh, probably on your protocol that you mentioned in the first episode about that 4r remove replace re-inoculate and repairs but with someone that you know, obviously is certified yeah, exactly. so that they know what to do with the, the FODMAP foods. Mm -hmm. But um, going on from that, um, I, I, I looked into this and it was saying that approximately 60% of our total energy uh, per day is used to extract the energy from the food that we eat. Obviously, you know, mm -hmm. when we eat, the, the, um, the small intestine uh, takes out um, obviously what we're going to use for fuel and what doesn't get digested, obviously fiber goes through to the, to the large intestine, mm -hmm. but it's reported quite often that people will say they feel really tired after eating. Um, and that probably I'm guessing is a combination of the food types, but also the food combining that they're doing. So what should someone do if they are feeling that lethargicness? I mean, I know everyone can get the three o'clock slump, right? But, you, you know, if you really, because the blood gets drained out to, to help digest that food. But if you are feeling really crap after you've eaten, it's not so simple, is it? Just say, well, don't eat that, don't eat that. It could be the combination of the foods or the macros of the food. So what would you say, as I say, um, would be the right balance to you know, remove that dysbiosis? Um, well, if so, if there was like some sort of lethargy, um, or like, you know, feeling a little bit tired, like mid afternoon. Now, this can be related. So I don't want to like isolate it. But the first thing that I would look would look at or look for is some sort of hormonal imbalance. Now that could be with insulin, that could be with 
serotonin and melatonin, which is tied to the gut very intricately. Um, and it's also tied to just general stress. So cortisol is definitely going to come to mind there. So it, th those would be like the four main hormones I would look at to start. So melatonin and cortisol are kind of intricately related. That's basically our circadian rhythms. So if you are constantly getting tired, say like after lunch, um, yeah, it could be probably something you're eating, uh, where my mind would go first is to look at sleep habits, um, and everything that would go along with that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of research out there now on, you know, our ability to get out in the sun, to get, um, morning sun particularly. So as the sun is rising, uh, that kind of, if we get actually sunlight in our eyes, that's going to help reset our circadian rhythms. So if we're constantly doing that day after day, it's kind of resetting those internal clocks and each cell in our body is running on those internal clocks. Same thing at the end of the day. So if we can, you know, get splotched a little bit of the sunset and even take another step beyond that, are you exposing yourself to, um, you know, white lights at night after the sun goes down, you know, whether it's those, you know, fluorescent lights or, you know, watching TV or on your computer or whatever, if you're having those kind of um, false lights or not false lights, kind of uh, fake lights in, in your eyes and you're not wearing, say, like blue light blocking glasses or having a filter on your phone or computer. You know, these are going to be things that are going to affect your circadian rhythm and your ability to go to sleep. So that's going to inherently affect both your cortisol levels and your melatonin levels at minimum. So if that's off, and you're not getting a good night's sleep to start, chances are that's going to affect whatever you're doing the next day anyway. So that to me has become like a lot more important, a lot more, um, I think, striking in terms of the difference, like the simple switches people can make that you can see large um, improvements with is trying to optimize that sleep cycle as best as possible. Um, because if you're having issues like with food or specifically getting tired, like, again, there is that those go hand in hand. So I'm not saying like the food isn't playing a role here, because if you're eating, for example, really late at night, close to bedtime, that's going to, again, affect your insulin levels, which downstream, again, affects cortisol, your ability to produce enough melatonin. Now you're having trouble to go to going to sleep again, particularly if they're like sugary foods, especially late at night. So like, ideally, you want to give yourself I say three hours, but like bare minimum two, you'd probably want to cut off eating uh, before going to bed uh, to kind of help kind of get that cycle going so we can actually digest properly, which a lot happens overnight um, and, and kind of like see how to get that cycle kind of back on track. So if it's an energy thing, that's the first place I look. And then obviously, are you relying on certain sleeping aids like Maybe it's something to go to sleep, whether it's a prescription drug, maybe it's alcohol, or are you relying as in need like coffee to function in the morning? Because it's one thing to, to enjoy those things, but you know, if it's one thing you rely on, then now you're looking at a deeper issue that you have to find that you have to get to the bottom of. That's um, I love everything that you said about the uh, circadian rhythms and the importance of that early morning light, as we say, uh, mm -hmm. that it can be cloud covered out there. But it's actually important to look up into the sky, look into the light without to the point that you're 
that it's painful, but to right. get as much yeah. lumens <laughs> in the eye as possible for yes. that circadian rhythm, mm -hmm. not not only obviously for that setting those internal clocks, but also like you say, for our alertness, um, functioning clarity, and as you said, the hormones to feel better. Um, mm -hmm. I was actually telling my dad this morning, those very things about why he should be going out for a morning walk. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I didn't, I hadn't put the correlation to a dip in energy after eating back to that. So I, whilst I knew that part and obviously the gut part, I hadn't, mm -hmm. I hadn't done that link. So that's, that's uh, taught me something which I'm really uh, grateful for. Um, and also I would imagine certain food combined because I've had a few um, gut issues and I've found before I was plant-based, I remember that I, I started to eliminate a lot of food groups because they didn't agree with me. I found that I wasn't tolerant to them. Right. And one of them I found was very difficult for my body to process was red meat. Mm. And it was to the point then I was avoiding it. But then I did notice on one occasion eating it with different. So if you have it with the carbohydrates, that was a no-no. So steak mm. and chips a big no-no right but steak with salad i could cope with so there are those uh, caveats aren't there of of which foods go together and 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 how difficult it is for our body to process would you say we should eat any particular food group in a certain order or is it okay to eat as we do a bit of mix because sometimes when kids are younger they'll yeah. like eat all of their meat first or my son used to do that right. he'd eat one food group and then move through and i know in france they they typically eat their meat first and then their their starches are carbohydrates and then finish with their vegetables what's your thought on that um uh, uh, so it, it's kind of like a two-part question so uh, for the food combining i'll, I'll answer this because this is kind of the shorter one because i don't have too much to say on it is i personally haven't seen like a lot of stuff out there where the specific order matters too much um what i tend to notice though where, where i think this correlates a lot more is that if there is some sort of dysbiosis and issues that that you're having issues combining foods personally then i think it has more to do with the actual dysbiosis than the foods themselves if that makes any sense uh -huh. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, I used to suffer with IBS. So. Yeah. So, and, and my example I usually use for something like this is this, well, you're in the UK, so you might not totally get this analogy, but bear with me. Um, here in the States, we got a lot of people with say, uh, uh, gluten sensitivity. Yeah. I've had patients or, or friends or clients, whatever, you know, go to France or go to Italy. Um, and, you know, have pasta and bread who then mind you, these people are allegedly gluten sensitive, go there, they eat, you know, all the pasta bread they want. They're like, Hey, I didn't feel anything. Like I didn't feel bad. I didn't have like those energy issues, whatever. Uh, but when I come back home, you know, to the U S um, you know, those same things came back. So what my honest opinion when it comes to this stuff is I, I don't, I don't want to speak for all of the EUs. Um, guidelines because i think they're a little bit different country to country and i'm not as well versed with them as i am with the ones here in the u.s but i think we tend to blame certain foods for problems that probably aren't the foods the foods might be the symptom but they're not actually the problem and what i mean by what i mean by that is 
what I find is it's usually like some sort of conventionally grown or produced food that has either, you know, uh, commercial pesticides or herbicides that are causing the issues that are then taking some of the energy basically out of you, literally draining you, whether it's, you know, through a leaky gut type of phenomenon or IBS or SIBO, it, it, it could be those pesticides. It could be, you know, herbicides, fungicides that are on those foods. And then something like mm -hmm. gluten is able to get through, say like a larger gap in leaky gut, for example, whereas gluten itself probably isn't the problem, but it's the symptom of it. Very similar to how diabetes in type two diabetes, mm -hmm. um, gl high glucose is the symptom, but insulin control is actually the problem. Like it's like high glucose is just yeah. the symptom. It's not actually the problem in the disease. So that's kind of at least my theory when it comes to that, because I haven't seen anything personally, at least in, in, in the scientific literature that says, oh, you have to eat this food in this order, or at least anything that's that strong. Now, if, if that happens for some people, I, do, I would tend to lean towards kind of what I was just talking about. It's probably some sort of internal issue from some of those things. And then again, everyone's a little different. So you kind of have to work backwards and figure out what that root is. So then you could kind of address it and move forward. Yeah, I mean, what one thing that sprung to mind for me when you were saying that is that particularly when people are going to different countries, generally speaking, it would be because they're going on holiday. Hmm. If they're on holiday, they're, they're, they're relaxed. If they're relaxed, yeah. then there's a whole different ball game. And mm -hmm. we know how, you know, and, and I know that for myself with the IBS symptoms, I, that you, you can't tolerate certain things when you are in a stressful situation or environment so that plays a big part in the gut doesn't it um and mm -hmm. and that tolerating the foods and i do feel yeah gluten gets labeled as a culprit as does um fruit mm -hmm. or for diabetics when when they're really not the baddies um as you say it's it's deeper down than that but it's that blanket isn't it but i guess because the gut is so intricate and so unique to to everyone that's why it just gets labeled under this big, you know, IBS, what is IBS, mm -hmm. you know, and, and everyone's symptoms from one extreme to the other are completely unique. Um, and they still haven't fathomed it out. That That's what blows my mind, to be honest. Um, and yeah. it's frustrating, especially when you are suffering with those symptoms, because you're not technically ill, but you feel wretched. Um, and I know that from suffering for that for years, but I do know that it was now looking back attributed to, to low level, well, long level stress, low level, yeah. you know, that totally. uh, combination. Yeah. And then that weakness, I think a, a couple of bouts of food poisoning sort of uh, <laughs> exacerbated yeah. it as well. Um, but yeah, uh, things that we can do to obviously help our gut is about increasing that diversity. Um, and, and I, I heard the analogy of say, treating it like a rainforest. And, and the other thing, um, that I was interested to get your feedback on was about the different varieties of food. So how, if we was to actually eat a, um, a routine diet that was very similar, how much that could potentially damage us like again give us dysbiosis because we're only feeding the microbes the same things over and over again what's your thoughts on that and 
in that respect i mean so if we're eating always over here golden delicious apples mm -hmm. you gotta go and try the pink lady ones or go and try the red coxes so it's not the apple per se but make sure you pick a different variety yeah no i, I actually do think there's a lot of um truth to that um i i do notice like i said i think the more or like you said, excuse me, the more diversity, I think the better, because the more we can introduce, the more kind of diverse that kind of microbial um, species count will be, the, the higher, the, the more species there will be. And that gives you the ability to adapt to a lot more things. And also when there's, you know, more mouths to feed, it also makes it less likely for something that's, that could potentially be pathological um to cause an issue and even things say for example like e coli um like we all have e coli to mm -hmm. some extent it's just a question of does it get to a point where it kind of grows out of control is there an opportunity for that um so i i do think yeah the more diversity the better what i've noticed um in practice is this is sometimes where where people can get lost on say like an elimination protocol or an elimination diet so it's a powerful tool, but the important part or the most important part of the elimination diet is not the elimination. It's the reintroduction of foods. And, you know, just because you're sensitive to something doesn't necessarily mean you have to uh, avoid it outright. What I've noticed uh, working with people is you just have to slowly increase the amount of them over time. You don't have that, um, bacterial either diversity or the the bacteria in the right amounts to handle certain foods. I've seen this a lot with different types of, of, of beans and chickpeas. This is where the whole like lectin thing comes in. And it's like, oh, well, I have to take, you know, Beano or some sort of, you know, enzyme. I'm like, well, you don't like we could work our way up to it. And it's it can literally start with, say, like using a tablespoon of chickpeas you add to every meal. And just kind of jot down, you know, how you feel a few, uh, like a few hours after feel good. Let's, let's double the dose and go from there. Let's go to two. Then let's go to three and you can slowly kind of retrain it very similar to, to working out. Um, so that that's honestly the, the analogy I use most of the time. It's going to the gym. If I try to go to the gym, you know, and I haven't been to the gym in three years and I'm trying to, you know, I don't know, bench press. 300 pounds oh wait i can't use that so um i'm trying to think how many kilograms that would be off the top of my head uh <laughs> was it 2.2.2 isn't it 2.2 so um... it'd be like 120 ish kilograms give or take um yeah like i wouldn't be able to do that like no way i'd either hurt myself or i literally would not be able to get it off the bar so you know you have to build back up to that and it doesn't just happen overnight so, and that starts with just slowly reintroducing more foods that you're sensitive to. slowly, like in a way that, that you can handle too. It's not like, you know, I can go in, you know, if I've had, you know, a typical like standard Western diet and then have, you know, a whole can of chickpeas or tin of chickpeas or whatever, and then not expect to feel something, probably you'll feel a little bit of something, if not more. So you have to slowly kind of build it up. And that, that's kind of been my approach when I'm working with people is to increase diversity just happens sometimes a little slow, so but it, it does happen. I wanted to tap into that. Um, so yeah. when you're saying elimination, first of all, um, 
yeah, obviously eliminating foods. Us plant-based eaters, we could be labelled as we're eliminating, obviously, meat, fish, dairy, eggs, mm -hmm. all things that are good for you, mm -hmm. reportedly. Um, so we're eliminating stuff. Are we putting ourselves as a disadvantage? And secondly, um, so I'd like your, your, your thoughts on that. And secondly, about obviously introducing those food groups, is it right that it's around 21 days that we're um, get, not getting a whole new, it's not like it swaps out, but, but you know, certain microbes are having a, a gut life of 21 days? Um, well, let me answer the first part first. So um, that was what, are we missing any nutrients or something like that? So yeah, like if for, for people that are really anti uh, plant based, okay. um, which no one should be because they should be a big staple of their diet too. Absolutely, <laughs> but, yeah. But that you know, if someone was going to throw that, well, you know, you shouldn't eliminate anything. Well, you are. You're eliminating meat, dairy, egg. You know those. Yeah. I just want to sort of clear that up. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I, I think it's important to understand that like there's there's nothing in in animal products that you can't get from plants now there's a couple caveats that like you can get like into nuances about like b12 is one of them technically like if you grow your own food or you know you were eating say like carrots straight out of the ground like you can actually get b12 because it's actually in like the sure. it, it, it's in the bacteria in the soil so and again even if you're consuming animal products it's not like the animals are producing the b12 they're either the animals are either supplemented with it or they're getting it from the food they're eating. So that's always one caveat. And we're seeing now actually in some studies that even, you know, omnivores, human, human omnivores, there, there are being, we're seeing higher rates of B12 deficiency in them. That has yeah, more exactly. to do with like how, yeah, how our food is essentially cleaned. Now, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, is it necessarily a bad thing that our food is clean? My personal opinion, no. Um, and to be quite honest, well, I mean, to, to some, there's levels to that, but broadly speaking, no, like, and to take like one small supplement that that's very cheap that you could find, isn't the worst thing in the world for something. And I would rather not take a chance with that. Now, technically, we can create our own B12 in the gut. Uh, there are bacteria that do it. Generally speaking, though, they tend to be located a little further down in the colon, like kind of towards the end of it. So you might not may be able to absorb it. Um, so it's like, do you want to take a chance with that? Honestly, I don't, particularly for something that's really important for red blood cell production, nerve conduction. To me, I'd rather take this the, the peace of mind and just take a very cheap supplement. So you know, that that's the big one. Um, protein, I'm not going to get too too deep into that. I mean, it's very easy to get all the protein you need. There's plenty of sources, lentils, chickpeas, all different types of beans, broccoli. I mean, it, it, there's not too much to talk about with that. Um, the only other ones I'm trying to think of that consistently come up are calcium, which is a complete myth. Um, there's more bioavailable calcium in things like kale and spinach than even in a glass of milk. So there's plenty of places to get calcium. What's more important, in my opinion, than actually even getting dietary calcium is actually having enough vitamin D to utilize it effectively, which we know, at least here in America, I don't know the total numbers, but 
more than half of Americans are vitamin D deficient. And without adequate amounts of vitamin D, you're definitely not utilizing whatever calcium you get as effectively as possible. So that to me is more important than even the actual dietary calcium yet for whatever reason, it's not still talked about enough. I don't know why. Um, the other one that comes up a lot, I guess, is iron, which again, there's plenty of ways to get enough plant-based iron. Um, again, a lot of those same sources that are high in protein tend to be high in iron too. So it's, they're kind of, there's a lot of overlap with that, particularly with beans, lentils, all those things. Uh, what I will say though, is yes, it is technically more difficult to absorb, uh, plant-based iron sources, but you can boost them by adding foods that are vitamin C rich, whether it's adding lemon juice to a dressing or cooking with bell peppers, like there's plenty of ways you can do it or, or having broccoli and a stir fry. Like it's very easy to do. And if you're having any sort of variety, it's really not anything that you even need to think about, to be perfectly honest. I'm glad you cleared that up because I know that that's one that does get thrown a lot to uh, us plant-based eaters. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to say from a point of, as you said, elimination, we're not actually uh, the food that we're eating um all of those as you was the only other one that i was thinking of as well was um ala and dha um amigas the omega threes but again the fish of eating the algae it comes from mm -hmm. the algae so if you're supplementing with the the dha uh right at source you're getting a better quality anyway so anything that they're throwing at us with that caveat the animals have either eaten it or as you say been supplemented or injected um yeah prior. the only thing i guess i'll add to that is there is the the argument i've seen against it is that some people are are poor converters so they don't convert into the the downstream forms of omega-3s as efficiently Honestly, it's kind of up in the air. Everyone's a little different with that too. I mean, if you want to be safe, you could supplement with like an, an algae source of, of omega-3s. I personally don't. Um, I do think it's more important to, to understand that that comes in a balance too. So, you know, you yes, we can increase our omega-3s. That's great. But I think the part of that that always gets missed is we also have to decrease the omega-6s we're yeah, eating exactly. too. We always conveniently leave that part out. <laughs> Um, doesn't it, get it, as much hit, yeah it doesn't get as much um airplay does it about the, no. the the omega-6 and that actually it's the ratio and that far too much omega-6 is being consumed yeah you all just get told have more omega-3 or more omega-3 and i think if people were to know that they were intrinsically linked that maybe would be more mindful of those foods and why they would need to eat them yeah, honestly, I think that's just as important. And, and the same thing, to be perfectly honest, goes for um, sodium and potassium. There, there tends to be like this kind of fear of, of salt and sodium. And you're told the same thing. It's, it's decrease your salt intake, decrease your salt intake, have no salt on anything. And it's like, no, again, it's a balance. And again, you don't hear, oh, have more potassium rich foods, which honestly, is the bigger part of the problem. So, I mean, it's twofold. One is you can drastically cut your sodium intake by simply just cooking more at home. Most of the sodium intake just comes from eating out at restaurants, prepackaged foods, 
um, you know, foods you might get at the grocery store and bring it home that are already made. That's where your salt in or sodium intake really comes from. Cooking at home, the hidden, even, the hidden stuff. Exactly. Uh, in prepackaged foods, pre-made stuff. It really doesn't come from your home cooking, at least not to any extent. What I just explained is over half of your sodium consumption. So if we simply just started cooking more at home, even if you use the same amount of salt that you're already using, you're already cutting your sodium intake very dramatically. And then again, you have to have the, the other part is we really should be having like somewhere between like five and 10 times as much potassium as sodium. And where does man potassium again, your best sources are going to be things like avocados and leafy green vegetables and a lot of those nuts and seeds and beans, things that generally us Westerners are not getting a lot of. So again, those two examples, the omega-3s and the sodium potassium, we tend to focus on only one side of those equations when the other side is just as, if not more important. Yeah, I, I love that you've brought that up, Vincent, because obviously for our muscles to work, that's the, that's the caveat, isn't it? We need the sodium, we need the calcium, mm -hmm. we need the potassium, we need uh, the magnesium. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I found that yeah quite fascinating that it is down to the hidden salts. So if you was just to check that fortified cereals can have their place in in some parts because then like they will give you the iron that perhaps you weren't getting the b12 that you weren't but they'll also go and check them out <laughs> right have a, a huge amount of salt and sugar and it's those hidden ones that are the the most damaging and obviously in all of those processed foods but if you're just as you said cooking your own then if you was to put some salt and and sea salt um or um uh oh i buy the one that's got um iodine i um, okay yeah so um just again be, being plant-based i will sprinkle that in my cooking now because mm. um yeah i think that's all quite important and yeah it still gives flavor so that's really good um i just wanted to quickly go on to uh and obviously this 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 topic is huge uh probiotics prebiotics and i know obviously we haven't got a huge amount of time but um could you give a um an, a short explanation of the difference of probiotics um prebiotics and obviously fermented foods and and what should be people be looking for because there's a lot of hype out there isn't there you know yeah. people think that they can drink a yakult or a whatever and then mm. they're suddenly getting everything and it you know it's just such a gimmick um but yeah if you could sort of expand on those for me yeah sure so prebiotics are essentially in sim in simplest terms prebiotics are just the food that good good back good gut bacteria eat usually they're things that are very high in fiber so it's going to be like garlic and onions, you know, leeks, asparagus, any, anything that's very high in fiber uh, is going to be essentially a prebiotic food. Probiotics, on the other hand, are the actual gut bacteria themselves that are sometimes found in fermented foods, as you obviously mentioned. There is a lot of um, hype and, and excitement, I think, with probiotics. Um, honestly, I, I think it's, it, it's gone a little bit overboard personally. And for a couple of reasons, one is, you know, even if we're consuming all the probiotic foods we want, 
you have to you have to create again that environment in the gut that they want to actually stay because they literally could just pass through and go right on out the other end that's what if i've heard if, yeah you just exactly. literally uh just sending it through if it even gets there and that was exactly going to be my second point if you're going to use a supplement a lot of supplements are not of the the best quality. So there are either, well, A, they, the, again, they are pro they're bacteria, they're alive or they should be alive. But if they're at, you know, room temperature, um, if they've been out, say on a shelf, if they're not, you know, refrigerated, a lot of them need to be refrigerated uh, to, to prevent die off. If you're not getting that, then again, you're not even going to get the number that might not be on the bottle. And a lot of them on the bottles are not even high enough to, to, that would make a difference, even if they were to survive. So, and then you obviously have to get to the point where can, is a significant enough amount of them, enough of them going to make it through, you know, the stomach acid, stomach acid is going to kill likely a, a lot of them. Um, so there's a lot of different things, particularly with the supplement part that I don't love unless you're going to get like a really good one. But even then, I would much rather use the actual foods than any sort of supplement when it comes to probiotics, because at least then if you're getting it from a food, you get some prebiotics because again, they're, I mean, any of those fermented foods are going to be uh, vegetable or something that is you know, fairly high in fiber, anything from, you know, tempeh to kimchi to uh, anything in between sauerkraut, you know, the list goes on and on. Uh, those, I think if you're going, if you really want to increase like your probiotic intake, I would go with fermented foods well before adding an actual supplement. Would so, you, would you suggest is, is kefir, which apparently means feel good, um, is a, I don't know if it's a Latin or Greek name, but yeah. yeah, is would you still recommend that for obviously not plant based, but for other individuals that are omnivores? Um, yeah, I, I think things like kefir and um and kombucha could be decent choices. I would prefer the actual foods. I think those tend to be better. Um, because again, if if you're just getting it from say like a kombucha, for example, again, if there, if there isn't the environment for those bacteria to thrive, even if they make it, they might just, like I said, pass right on through, even if they do make it there. So that's why I think one part of probiotics that like really needs to be well understood is it's great to have the actual bacteria, but they also need a home to live. There needs to be a kind of a, a, an environment, environment. that they can actually thrive in. Cause if, if not, yeah. then it's really honestly going to be a waste of your money at the end of the day just eat high fiber foods and you're pretty much going to be uh, sorted because it's that undigested uh fiber that they feed on so yeah i, I love it the whole foods the whole way um mm -hmm. and cheaper cheaper too yep. <laughs> um i wanted to move on to some questions uh just to quickly uh about you vincent you're an avid cook uh mm -hmm. in the facebook group you mm -hmm. are uh doing lots of recipes that all look absolutely amazing what's your favorite one at the moment uh hmm. oh man put me on the spot um <laughs> i like making a version of a vodka sauce that i know my fiance loves so that's something i do pretty often i put that on a pizza i think recently so yeah i saw that that looked awesome i mean and check check it out um obviously i'll put it in the show notes about joining the plant-based group but vincent's i mean it's not just taste which obviously i don't know but what i see that it, it looks fripping awesome 
Well, I hope so. It should be fun. That's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that vodka sauce did look did look absolutely lovely. And I have tried some of yours, your recipes, because I think oh, I, nice. I messaged you when I when when I did. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> um, yeah. And something completely different. Um, I'm sort of throwing it because I know from back to when we spoke in the previous episode, how you sort of got into nutrition and what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. I wanted to turn it slightly. There's a saying, sometimes not getting what you want is a blessing. Can you think of a circumstance where this applied to you? Um, sometimes. I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I went into you know, chiropractic school, wanting to go into rehab, into to sports rehab, to, to work with athletes and stuff like that. And it wasn't, it was only because of like my own health issues that I was having trouble with that kind of made me pivot. And then I think more importantly, you know, helped me realize that, you know, if I can do it on my own, I think anyone else could, if they actually want to. And to me, I think that's more powerful than anything I could do. Um, is to, you know, give someone else the tools that they can do it themselves. To me, that that's yeah. what it's all about. Yeah, no, I, I, I remembered that you, um, I was reading back on our notes, obviously, about the digestive issues that you were suffering with. Um, so yeah, that's why I want to put that question in. And yeah. something completely random. What's the best compliment you've ever received? Oh, um, honestly, sometimes, uh, uh, more recently, I've been getting a couple messages like, on on instagram or tiktok nothing in particular but just like hey like i've tried like a bunch of your recipes and like you know i lost um you know whatever x amount of weight and i feel better or i got like this blood work back and it looks better than it did before and people i i haven't met or haven't really talked to just kind of message me out of the blue um that stuff's really cool um it makes me want to you know keep doing it and i think that's part of the power of, of social media which is humbling to some degree yeah yeah i mean that is amazing because to be able to change your blood work and you really can through the mm -hmm. foods you eat and that's that's the power isn't it food can be medicine and it can be poison as well um, but yeah. knowing that you've got that power and not relying on I know you are a doctor, but not relying on the doctors. You 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 have more power than you realize, and it Absolutely. starts so easily by what you put in your mouth. I I totally agree. I tell every single person I work with, like my goal is to get you to a point where you don't have to see me ever again. That that's my goal when I work with anyone. So I'm totally with you on that. <laughs> so good, yeah, because I don't don't want to upset the doctor. No. <laughs> yeah, um, no. So wanted to go into the quick fire round. So I I I asked fifteen questions. They're either or, and you just and and the other questions first thing that comes into your head. So it's timed against the clock. And right. are you ready for it, Vincent? I'm as ready as I'm going to be. So let's do it. <laughs> right. Okay. So I'll speak as clearly as I can. Savory or sweet? Savory. Beach or snow? Beach. Coffee or tea? Tea. Favorite sport? Uh, basketball, actually. Most scared of? Most what? Most scared of? Oh, uh, oh man. Uh, I don't like ice tubs, which is kind of shocking. Cold, like very cold tubs. <laughs> Go on to the next one. Favorite body part? Um, hands. Ketchup or mayonnaise? Oh, neither. Oh, mustard. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's fair enough. Being plant based. Shower or bath? Shower. Dog or cat? Dog. 
Netflix or Amazon? Oh, um, you know, more recently, I think Amazon. Okay. Burpees or pull-ups? Pull-ups. Favorite actor? Oh, um, this one gets people. Yeah. I, I don't think I, I don't like follow anyone particularly enough. I'll tell you what, Quentin Tarantino is my favorite director. How about that? Oh, that that's good. Yeah. So best film then. Oh, best film. I, I, <laughs> Reservoir Dogs. Uh, that that's a Reservoir Dogs is a good one. <laughs> I, I, I just rewatched Pulp Fiction. So I'll go with that. Oh, yes. Yeah, God, and the music. <laughs> yeah. Favorite book. Or what you're reading at the moment? Uh, what I'm reading at the moment is actually Supernatural You by um, Joe Dispenza. <laughs> I've got that down there. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> and Hidden Talent. Um. Oh, man, I don't think I have any talents that I hide. Um, I'm actually pretty good at math. <laughs> I used to be really okay. good at math. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly not one of my strong points. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely keep that hidden, having to do maths. But yeah, <laughs> that's, it's funny. You find out a lot about uh, the guests when when I ask these questions, and it always seems to stump them on one of them. Yeah, I think it's because all the guests that I have, you're all so passionate about what you do. I don't think you have time to watch telly, or it's not your go-to, so it completely throws you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a ton. Like television, I don't watch a ton of anymore. Like I'll watch sports occasionally. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I um, I the the one thing that I am watching on Netflix at the moment is is The Crown. Um, it's a series. Oh yeah, um, I haven't family. gotten to that, but I've heard I've heard good things. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really enjoying that. That's a one sort of luxury on a Friday mm -hmm. night look forward to watching a couple of episodes of that so i'm really enjoying that but um nice. so vincent um out of your contacts and you can tell me off air who would you be happy to introduce the podcast to with a view to being a guest so have a mull over that whilst you're having a think where can people find you um you can find me on instagram is probably the easiest place or tiktok at this point dr vincent esposito dr vincent esposito um or email, which is again, drvincentesposito at gmail.com. Uh, my website is insideouthealthwellness.com. And what else? I have, oh, my own podcast, The Art of Eating. That's on iTunes, Spotify, whatever. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. There you go. See, everywhere. Everywhere. everywhere and why exactly. shouldn't you be yeah. and obviously yeah. you're in the uh plant-based uh, the facebook group as i say i'll leave the group in there uh yep. showing your delights and your cooking skills um so there's some amazing recipes to check out how often do you post them in there um a few times a week now um i'd say probably at least three Right, there you I'm, go. So every reason to join the facebook group just to pick up the uh, recipes and get some inspiration on what to eat yeah <laughs> uh vincent so out of 10 with one being pants and 10 being perfectly splendid how would you rate this episode oh this is a 10 out of 10 <laughs> <laughs> trick question <laughs> and um i'm gonna leave with an outro quote that i found today um which is interesting by john bon jovi nothing is as important as passion no matter what you do what you want to do with your life be passionate Mm. Uh, which I think is pretty important, isn't it? 
um Absolutely. you're passionate about what you're doing uh, as am i in in my little field of world i i love all of this and i absolutely have loved having you on um listening and hearing your knowledge so i'm really super grateful vincent for coming on and what's your uh outro quote for the show yeah no i appreciate you having me uh for me as simple as we were just talking about before you know you heal you at the end of the day perfect to finish on thank you very much vincent all right. Thank you. Glad to be here. I think they've been some fantastic insights to take away from that episode from Dr. Vincent about the um, grain connection, but that morning light and why that has um, a connection to our gut health. Uh, so ultimately, you know, there'll be lots of takeaways for you for this episode. But for, for me, it is that connection and it just reaffirms why we do need to get out for that morning walk um, to not only obviously increase that serotonin uh, but also increase that melatonin to get us into a, a good night's sleep and how the sleep has a positive if we're getting it impact on our gut health as well so there's valuable tips throughout there and obviously if you want to check more out about uh, vincent uh, the details are in the show notes and check his recipes out as well as he said that vodka sauce um, it did look epic so um, being plant-based shouldn't be boring um, and Vincent absolutely shows that isn't the case. Um, so I will leave the, the show notes, the Facebook group as well. Um, if you are looking to just incorporate more plants into your diet um, or you are looking to transition into a plant-based diet, then absolutely um, head over and join the group. Um, as always, this podcast is sponsored by Sassy 10, Sculpt a Stronger and Sexier You for women to feel empowered to not only change their body um, from the outside, but inside and their mindset too, to be more confident and to push themselves in, in a way that they feel empowered. Um, and we are all imperfectly perfect. And it's just sometimes we can get lost along the way when work takes over. We are mums, we're busy mums, we're looking after everyone else and we go on the back burner of thinking about ourselves. So if that is something that is of interest to you, then do reach out, um, check out the website uh, sassy10.com you can look at um, obviously testimonials there and find out more. Um, otherwise, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Catch you next time.